Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton. I'm thrilled to introduce today's guest as she embodies through her books, Instagram posts, and fiery optimism, what our team calls levity, a combination of love and levity. And it's clear levity has played a critical role for her family this past year. There's no guidebook for parenting during a pandemic and sheltering at home means being yourself in front of your kids all day, every day without the release of school or the office. Our guests penned Sad House as one mother's guide to stumbling through a season of loss with creativity, hope, and humor. She's the publisher of Forest Avenue Press and Publisher Weekly named her a 2017 Star Watch honoree. Please welcome community builder, novelist, and award-winning journalist, Laura Stanfield, along with her daughter, Hadley. Laura, Hadley, it is so good to see you both. Hi. Before we jump into the deep stuff, I want to share one of your Instagram posts, which really made me smile. I love it because I think it captures how maddening it was this year for all of us. And my question to you both, who is the emergency worm? Well, as you can see, emergency worm is a tiny worm superhero. Uh, she likes to travel through the hospital by a zip line. And when she does so, she wears a helmet for safety. And uh, she helps people who are sick. And I think my youngest daughter, Tracy, came up with it because she was trying to get her arms around the pandemic and understand what it means to hurt and want to have a narrative about how to help people. So I want to get a sense of what your day-to-day -day life was like pre-COVID. What was normal like for you? Well, it was super busy. I have a great husband. I have two kids. Uh, at the time, we had five guinea pigs. <laughs> and I run my own publishing company and mentor a lot of writers. I never stopped. I just kept going and going and going to the point that my friends commented that it seemed like I ran out of batteries. And Hadley, what about you? Um, I woke up early, got dressed, got ready for school, went to school, came home did homework, ate a snack, visited with our neighbor's dogs, played with them, petted our guinea pigs. <laughs> and when the pandemic hit, what were some of the first things that changed? I started to be go on online school and we ended up getting a puppy, which has been amazing. Mm -hmm. Laura, what about for you? Well, right away, when, right before lockdown, I realized that life was changing for good because my author, Ramiza Koya, called me up and said, I think we need to cancel my Powell's event. She was supposed to speak at the bookstore for her debut novel, and she had terminal cancer. Her book was due to launch in May, and we worked with the Powell's team to make sure we could get her a microphone in March. On March 15th, she was supposed to speak. Oh. And a few days before, as the headlines of COVID were taking over and everybody was worrying and wondering and trying to make plans, she called me and said, I don't want people to get sick. I don't want them to come to my event and get sick. We didn't at that time know about super spreaders or have that kind of language in our lives, but she feared for everyone else. And I said, well, I'm also worried about you and your health. And she said, well, I'm really worried about everybody else. Yeah. Wow. So I put in the email to cancel with Jeremy at Powell's. And then I got in my car and I drove downtown to the store and they had her name up on the marquee and I took a picture and I knew that was as close as she would get to mm. fulfilling her dream as a debut novelist. And sure enough, she passed in June, so she didn't get a chance to speak in public. Oh my goodness. As I mentioned in the open, Sad House inhabits this incredible fusion of love and levity. It's a powerful combination to cope with any difficult time, especially a worldwide pandemic. So what was the spark that led you to write the zine? 
Well, my best friend uh, Priya got sick with COVID and passed in April. And we had met in fifth grade. We've known each other our whole lives. She's always been there for me. And I think I decided to write the story of her and the story of our family grief going through losing her because there were so many big international newspaper headlines about mm. her. And they didn't tell the story of her. They told the story of how she died. And I mm -hmm. wanted to tell the story of her. And when did you learn that Priya was battling COVID? She texted me and told me that the whole family was sick, uh, but she was particularly worried about her father who was having trouble breathing and they had just taken him to the emergency room. And that was the last text I got from her. Uh, she was taken to the emergency room soon thereafter and she died on April 13th and he passed on April 21st. They were both doctors and they both had worked at the hospital where they passed. It sounds like she influenced you so deeply. I have to say she was the kindest person I've known in my whole life. She just exuded love and appreciation for other people. She wanted to help. She was helping patients from her hospital bed. That's the kind of person she was. And she treated her best friends like family. She called me her sister and her other best friends the same. In Sad House, you say about grieving while quarantining at home, there is no such thing as private when sheltering in place. Even locking myself in the bathroom doesn't work for long. The girls can sense my emotion flooding through the home. It's an unmistakable perfume, grief. They find me and knock until I relent and let them in. My tears drop down their sweet foreheads and they suffer my hugs and sniffles. When they can't take the wet mess of me any longer, they ask, are you better now? No, I say, but let's go play cribbage. I can imagine you were completely unmoored by experiencing how unpredictable grief can be. That's so true. I, I just didn't know what to expect. I'd never lost a close friend before. And the waves of grief were just crashing one after the other at unexpected times. I even, I'm on a school board at a local charter school and I cried during school board because mm -hmm. it just would catch up to me. I would see other people on the screen. I cried a lot at writing group. I finally left my writing group because it was too much to see these people I still love and admire mm. on a screen and to think about how much our society has changed. Yeah. Hadley, what was it like for you to see your Energizer Bunny mom brought to her knees by grief? It was really weird. Um, and I could just sense that something was going on with her. Because I don't, cause that's my, my brain is completely different, but I still could understand that something was going on. Mm. Most of the time I kept my distance, but sometimes I just sat there and snuggled with her and ended up getting cried on. Oh, I think the beauty of your experience and the way you share it in Sad House is that you decided very quickly to abandon all of the expectations of your life, except getting dressed once a day, which is a good rule. Here's another excerpt from the book. There's an unexpected benefit to sheltering at home. I don't have to perform social greetings or meet expectations of what a 40-something-year-old should wear or do. As a neurodivergent person, this carries a sense of relief, a loosening of expectations. It's okay to feel too much right now. I want you to talk a little bit more about that unexpected freedom. Well, in 2014, I fell on the ice and got a traumatic brain injury, and all of my ability to perform socially just fell for about a year. And when I started feeling better and rehab helped, uh, I started picking up all those scripts again and those social niceties. And I started saying yes again to everything because mm. I'm really good at saying yes um, and not as good at boundaries. <laughs> 
So when the pandemic came, it was like a second reset switch where I got to drop everything again. Mm -hmm. And now I have the time and energy to be a lot more selective about which pieces I pick back up that, yes, I will do this. And, and, and I can also say no. There's going to be decades of study on the effects of families being forced to stay at home and work slash homeschool together for a year. And your family has particular challenges in that you and Hadley are both neurodivergent, or some people might call it highly functioning people living with autism. So how much more stress was there on both of you because of the unique nature of your brains? In some ways it works out well because we understand each other so well, but I'm very sensitive to noise and Hadley is quite loud almost all of the time. And <laughs> in fact, both of my girls love sharing monologues. Uh, they have constant monologues running in the background of things. And I have to often ask, do you want me to listen to that? Because I'm not actually listening to that. <laughs> so we've had to figure out coping mechanisms like that. Hadley and I both really thrive with a lot of stuff around us. We like our, <laughs> we like our things we love all nested around us. And yeah. We don't have to pretend otherwise because nobody's coming in our house. It doesn't matter. And here's another quote from Sad House. To establish more real world moments, I've taken to hiding her, Tracy's, which is your younger daughter, computer and claiming it's gone out for sushi. Her computer gets terribly hungry. It's sad all the time. It spends alone in the house. It really wants avocado rolls. When Tracy's computer goes out for sushi, we read, we make comics, we paint, we run circles in the yard pretending to be kittens. It doesn't matter if she doesn't turn in all of her assignments. How did you come up with this brilliant idea? idea for minimizing screen time? Just storytelling. I realized that every time I said no and time is up and she would say yes, we would get into that duality. And I got bored of it, honestly. It was just so <laughs> boring. And I'm sure a lot of parents have had that experience with tech boundaries during the pandemic too, uh, especially those of us who are doing distance learning. So school equals computer. <laughs> yeah. So I just decided one day to just sneak away and take her computer and say it was going out for sushi. Sometimes I'll detail what meals it has and maybe it has to stop by the pet store to get <laughs> anything food on the way home. And she rolls her eyes and gets super frustrated, but it takes out the anger and it takes yeah. out the, the sense of conflict between us. And she's very willing to engage in other acts of storytelling while her computer's out for sushi. Yeah, that's so cool. The role of nature is so big in Sad House. Your yard practically transforms into its own character. You say, I'm here for each sprout, each new bud. Tiny oak trees grow from forgotten acorns by the side of the house. They need to be pinched out by my girls and me one at a time so we get the roots. Sometimes the whole acorn comes up and we can study how new life has cracked forth, how stubborn and optimistic the roots are. How was this therapeutic for you, Lara, to become so viscerally attached to the cycles of your yard? Well, I found myself really admiring small things. My parents uh, recently bought a house. That yard became a discovery place for us where mm. every day we would see something new and then we could call them at their house and tell them what's coming up in their yard. I was so moved by the influence of everyday art projects in helping your family move through grief and you instinctively began to do what a lot of people were doing, baking bread, painting, and drawing. And these few lines from Sad House really connected with me. Each piece of work feels close to joy, or at least as close as I can get within the fog of grief. I always thought you had to make something perfect to be proud of it, 
but mid-crisis, I'm letting that go. It doesn't have to be great art or cake for me to feel better during and after the making. So how did you learn to let go of that quest for perfection, Laura? Reconnecting with my sense of play. That's really why I, I stopped tying my achievements to a sense of goal or expectation. Mm. And I just got messy with art supplies and with my fingers and had fun. And I didn't, yeah. I let go of the expectation of what the end result might be. And before COVID, did you consider yourself an artist? No, I've always made art, but I've never used that label wow. for myself. Uh, the oh. New York Times uh, published one of my pieces this summer, and I realized that I can't not call myself an artist now. <laughs> my work has been in the New York Times. So how are you each going to remember this year together? I'll remember it being intense and messy, but also beautiful with pockets of joy. Oh, and what aspect of it will you hope to forget forever? And what parts are you going to hang on to? Is there anything that really worked for your mental health? For me, I really want to continue being clear about my boundary and my, my energy. Um, my boundaries are a lot tighter now. Uh, Priya's last text message to me said, please stay safe and keep your family safe right now. Mm -hmm. So there, there's been no question. No, we're not going out for dining. No, we're not doing anything besides taking care of ourselves and our houses. And I, I just hope I can continue to recognize that no is an okay word to say. And is your mental health stronger or weaker because of this year together? I do feel like we're stronger as a family because we've learned how to persevere yeah. and we've had to figure it out. There's no choice. We can't walk away. Or, well, we can walk into the next room, but we're really stuck together even when we're having hard times. If you would provide for us five tips that our audience can put to use in their own lives to enhance mental well-being, five takeaways of what you learned about parenting during a pandemic, I would be so, so happy. Make messy, imperfect art. Run around barefoot in the rain. Get yourself a hammock and sway in the breeze, even if, especially if your kids don't want to do those things with you. Mom, I love spending time with you, but I do have a life. Sometimes, as adults, we get so caught up in acting, well, adult, that we miss out on the fun. And as parents, when we engage in play, it's often in relationship to our children to entertain them. But what kind of play can you engage in as an adult just for you? Not because it's on your to-do list, but because you deserve to have fun too. When you're happy, I'm happy, Mom. Two, be honest. Our children are so attuned to our emotions. Being at home together means they see the ups and downs of life close up. If you feel something really intensely and try to hide it, your children will start making up stories of their own about why and possibly taking it personally. If you can come up with some age-appropriate language, even if it's just, I'm feeling sad today, you empower your children and set the stage for them to talk openly about their feelings. I couldn't hide my grief from my girls when my best friend died. So I found language to explain that it's okay to be sad. It's important. Grieving means you really love someone. And how lucky are we to have the capacity to love like that? Three, insist on alone time for everyone. In the before times, we all had to work hard on family togetherness, coming up with activities and ideas that would appeal to all of us. We like really different things. But now, after a year of being together 24-7, it's important to emphasize carving out some alone time. It might not be ideal. It doesn't matter how small the space is or how much time you get, just that you have regular breaks from each other. Four, use stories in your parenting. I'm not talking about when I was your age stories, but creating narratives, identities for non-human objects, or turning chores into games instead of lecturing about why it's not okay to tell lies. Make up a fairy tale. 
If a younger child's really lonely, make up a storyline for a stuffed animal and let it go on improbable adventures. We play Mission Unfindable, looking for all the things we've lost in our house for prizes. We still haven't found that leopard mask, Mom. We also tell stories about pre-pandemic life so we can talk about what we miss. There's so much we can't do right now, and it's good to acknowledge that. Five, look closely. One recent morning, my youngest noticed frost had corroded the moss. She leaned in close and breathed a hot puff of air, transforming the white frozen moss to bright green. Like magic! We spent a few minutes breathing and watching the colors change. It felt like art, starting off our day with observation. We've all picked up that skill this year with our lives being so limited. We see what's here with a fresh perspective. Frost on the moss in morning becomes a gift, makes the day special. A piece of cardboard isn't just recycling, it's a potential painting project. You just have to reframe how you see things. It doesn't take much to find entertainment at home if you're looking. We even enjoy the days when the truck comes to pump out the neighbor's porta potty. Laura Hadley, you two are among my favorite people. I hope other families take some of these tips that you've offered and put them to use for the last leg of this quarantine marathon that we're all running. Follow Laura and Hadley's adventures on Instagram at Forest Avenue Press and pick up a copy of Sad House, Parenting, Grief, and Creativity During the Coronavirus Crisis at microcosmpublishing.com. Bye.